the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. Supporting companies and their employees for 75 years. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times business podcast. This is Wednesday, November 23rd. I'm Kieran Hancock. And on this week's show, we'll be reviewing the changes in the central bank's mortgage rules. Is it good news for first-time buyers? And will the changes result in more houses being built? We'll also be looking at the Black Friday shopping phenomenon in Ireland. What does it mean for retailers here? And should it be a case of buyer beware? Don't forget you can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes while it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. Now, earlier today, the Central Bank of Ireland Governor Philip Lane announced what he described as refinements to its much-talked-about mortgage rules. It is potentially good news for first-time borrowers, as they won't have to save such a large deposit for their new homes in the future. Joining me in the studio to debate the pros and cons of these changes are Lorcan Sear, a housing lecturer with Dublin Institute of Technology, and Joe Brennan, markets correspondent with the Irish Times. Joe, you might just uh, talk us through the changes to the rules that have been announced today by the Central Bank. Yeah, I suppose the, the, the main change uh, relates to first-time buyers. Um, whereas the rules were brought out last year, um, first-time buyers had to have a 10% deposit for the first 220000 uh, 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 price of a home and uh, a 20% deposit thereafter. Now what they've done is they've brought in a blanket 90% for first-time buyers. Uh, I suppose that the main beneficiaries for this, uh, if you also take into consideration that we have the government having announced a help-to-buy scheme uh, last month, which uh, would allow borrowers to... uh, a rebate of about 20, up to 20,000 on houses worth to worth uh, 500,000. So the main beneficiaries from this would be someone or a couple who were buying a, a, a home worth 500,000. Uh, previously, they would have needed a 78,000 deposit. Uh, now it's down to 50. And if you if you also introduce uh, the tax rebate, you could actually bring it down to 30. Now the, Yeah, okay. There is a saving there that, now. Yeah, but I mean, the, the there's still loan income exactly. ratios in place and they haven't been changed. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's your that's your, that, that's your protection and that's certainly the central mm. bank's protection is a protection the central bank have actually been very keen to highlight the same couple or the same person would have to have an income of about 135,000 yeah. to qualify for that which so would exclude the a ceiling is three and a half times in terms of loan to income the housing income. and construction industry had wanted it lifted to up to four and a half times which half, would yeah. mirror the UK experience but they've decided against that. And the central bank governor talked about that at the press conference today, didn't he? Yeah, it's a thing. And again, uh, the construction industry have come out this afternoon and they say it's regrettable that that was not something that was that was uh, addressed. I suppose uh, the, the governor of the central bank was very clear that Ireland being an open economy... Uh, more prone to recession. Exactly. Um, and more prone to, to, to variabilities in, in, in income as well, that it's more prudent for an economy like Ireland to have a lower loan-to-income ratio than, say, in the UK. Yeah. Lorcan, sir, you've been um, studying the housing sector for uh, a long period and you've been writing about it a lot in your column in the Sunday Times as well. Um, you've had an opportunity to look at the rules, the changes, the tweaks that the central bank have introduced or refinements, as the central bank governor called them. Are they going to make much of a difference to the market? Very difficult to tell. I was just before I came in here, I was with an estate agent who said uh, that uh, it really doesn't make any difference to him. Prices will obviously go up, which is good for him. But he said the key problem is it won't really increase supply. And that is the, the key issue. And without supply coming on, on stream, you're giving people extra money with which to outbid each other. Mm. So Why prices would prices are necessarily go up? 
Why will they go up? Yeah. Because people are now going to have uh, X amount of thousand euro uh, more in their in their pocket, particularly particularly people who have perhaps close to saving a twenty percent deposit or the ten percent plus the twenty percent of the balance of two hundred and twenty thousand uh, already. Suddenly, if they wait until January, they're going to have that extra money with which they, they outbid each other, uh, and that's the way it is. They're not going to spend it on a fancier kitchen mm. or better quality carpets. Philip they're going Lane to spend didn't quite accept that narrative uh, though at the press conference uh, today, and he said that the rules to date have had a dampening effect on house prices. They have. Yeah, absolutely. But house prices have still risen on the back of things like the first time buyer's grant, for example, uh, which was an attempt to circumvent the rules. Without a doubt, the rules are, are a great thing. Uh, and in many countries, in, in, in fairness to the central bank, many countries uh, review and tweak their policies on an ongoing basis. The problem with that is it doesn't provide any certainty. And when you have no certainty, people hesitate to actually get involved in the market because they're waiting for the next review to see will things change. I myself have been been caught off, off guard by about a period of three weeks uh, with this. But so, such is life. Um, yeah, you I, just bought a house today. Tell us. Uh, uh, yeah, no, well, I will tell you, I got the keys at three o'clock today, uh, which is which is very exciting and interesting. It's after costing Are you me a first time bar? It's after costing me a few more quid. Uh, yeah, it's after costing me a few more quid than it would if I had it hung on to January. So be it. I would rather see a stability in the market uh, rather than, than you know, extra money being given to people. Um, Philip Lane not buying that argument. I, I, I don't know. I think the government uh, have artificially inflated house prices by giving away the 20,000 or up to 20,000 first time buyers grant. And I see it in my own estate agents uh, that I have in my in my master's in real estate course they tell me straight away that they took properties down and put them back up uh, with inflated prices uh, very soon after that yeah. Joe? Yeah I was talking to uh, analysts from Investec this afternoon after it came out as well and they estimate I think prior to this they were estimating that um, lending to, to, to from banks for mortgages uh, will be about 6.5 billion uh, next year they think it could actually top 7 billion as you have inflation on the first Was it 5 billion uh, last year? It was sub five years, sub four five, point, yeah, yeah four point, so that's a big four jump. point nine. Yeah, it's a, it's a big jump. Now this year, I think it, it looks like it's kind of somewhere about five point five, um, but they estimate that the, basically the, the the big push will be in the, the first time buyer uh, yeah. of new homes. And, and when you consider the the, the 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 dearth of new homes that are out there, if we're lending more for not that many more properties, it means that prices are are, yeah. are, are going up. Well, who's to blame? Who's, who's to blame for this? Then I mean, it sounds like the government's to blame for this with its help to buy scheme. Effectively giving away up to twenty thousand euro in of taxpayers' money tax for, rebates. Yeah, up to for personal because property. Because this up is a very small tweak by the central bank, and if anything, they've just simplified the rules by taking away the two hundred and twenty thousand ceiling. Yeah, if if they wanted to do it really properly, they would have regionalised it and made different rule for Dublin and a different rule. Now he didn't rule that out. He did say that uh, that was an option that is yeah, available to them in the future. Blanket policies are crude tools, really. You know? And he, he cited New Zealand. Uh, Joe, you were there. He cited New Zealand as an example where Auckland. Um, operates off a different model to the rest of the yeah, country. Yeah, um, Auckland, uh, obviously the most populous um, uh, centre uh, city in, in, in New Zealand, they they, they have um, a lower, um, uh, sorry, they'd have different to have a higher, of, exactly, yeah. they have to have higher um, uh, deposits uh, in, in Auckland and other, in other regions of New Zealand. Also, just separately in New Zealand, New Zealand is looking very much at what's happened in Ireland in, in, in the last few years. New Zealand brought in a loan-to-value uh, ratio um, limits back in 2013, and now they're looking to bring in the uh, a, a limit on uh, loan to incomes as well, looking at the, the Irish, very much at the Irish um, mm. um, experience in recent times. We look at Auckland, I think uh, the average uh, house price is about nine times that of the average income. So it's something they're obviously keeping an eye on as well. Yeah. Like the UK, which is running out of control. It, it's interesting to see who would be a beneficiary from this because it, well, this will also drive up land prices uh, for builders who, are, who have land already with planning permission. Uh, this, w- this will drive up uh, land values. So the beneficiaries are going to be land uh, landowners, uh, vendors of properties. First-time buyers 
might I, I'm not sure if you consider them a beneficiary they might be able to, to save a few more quid but they, they'll sorry they might need a, a smaller deposit but they'll end up spending uh, more money on the property themselves and therefore getting themselves into greater debt over the 13 year lifetime of, of a But isn't there a bigger sort of fundamental problem here that we're not really tackling the costs uh, some of the input costs uh, of house building I mean for example I had a conversation with Michael O'Flynn the Cork based mm. uh, property developer before we came on air and he mentioned to me the fact that let's say VAT I think is at what is it 13, 13 and a half percent in Ireland I think it's 0 percent in Northern yeah, Ireland we won't be able to do it to 0 percent because of the EU uh, sure. Yeah. sure but nonetheless it is very high and you mentioned uh, land prices uh, mm. again very high and a lot, of, a lot of local authority levies and so forth again very high there are a lot of input costs there that aren't being tackled yeah levies levies are things that local authorities so this is a price per square metre that a builder will give to a local authority to provide infrastructure such as roads and all that kind of stuff in, in Dublin at the moment I think it's about 115 euro something per square metre so it's a consider, considerable sum of money per unit mm. per house um, local authorities have the power to vary those and I think they should be varied I think there should be a zero levy if you are near a loose station or near some public transport and if you're building on a greenfield site in the middle of nowhere there should be a higher levy local authorities can do that if they won't but they want if they haven't the cost of building regulation the inspection system of your house to make sure that houses uh, are built properly is also prohibitively expensive I would rather see those two tackled than the VAT we're never going to get zero VAT in construction but I think those two things are why, things why, that the government why, why can't we get to just explain that to uh, yeah, as far as I know there, 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 it's, it's to do with the European Commission and, and the revenue and our own revenue commissioners wouldn't want to see zero VAT they might well uh, be more I say open minded towards a 9% or 10% um, but but not a zero one I've had several uh, people uh, explain that to me or you know say that to me uh, over the last while yeah, okay. Joe, these rules, macroprudential rules, are designed to protect banks uh, rather than consumers. Um, kind of, you know, they're almost hand in glove, I suppose, in a way. But, um, but is designed the, to protect consumers as well from themselves. I mean, that was... Yes. That was, that, that was a key point. thing, yeah. yeah. Can we just come back to the, the, the housing thing? The, the one thing that hasn't been uh, looked at in any detail, and the retail banks have been very quiet about this, particularly in terms of 20 grand, self-builders um, have issues with mortgages and, and getting issues uh, getting mortgages. And uh, that ties into the building regulation because if you're building your own home, you can actually legally opt out of building inspection. But banks, it's been very, um, banks have been very quiet on the amount of lending that they're giving to people who are self-building and I don't think they'll give any money to people who opt out of the regulation system. And the regulation system can add up to 20000 to the price of your house. Yeah. So self-builders uh, haven't been really acknowledged. And when you consider last year that 47% of all houses were self-builds, uh, yeah. or one-off houses, most of those would be self, or a lot of those would be self-builds, they're a considerable chunk of the mortgage market that we seem to kind of forget about, you know. Yeah. Were they right to leave? I mean, essentially, uh, they left the LTV limit in place for second uh, and subsequent buyers. Um, so they need a 20% deposit. Were yeah. they right to do that? I, I think so, yeah. I mean, you need some buffer. Uh, or else this is going to run away with itself. I mean, that's the only buffer that I can see there because even up to 90, at the 90% mortgage, there's there's leeway for 5% of the euro value of that to exceed 90%. So we're going to be looking at 90% plus uh, mortgages in... Well, I think it's in terms of the uh, exceptions that the banks can make yes, out of their yeah. book of loans. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. It's but it's very small. I mean, 5%. And they that's the ceiling, so the banks don't want to go near that ceiling. Well, they, didn't, they didn't go anywhere near no. it last year, uh, according to when I was listening to... to because they'd be, uh, subject, Joe, they'd be subject to a, a disciplinary uh, procedure, presumably, with the yeah, Bank. And potential fines as well, yeah. Yeah, so they don't want, want to go near it. Uh, but it has been lifted for the second-time uh, buyers, hasn't yeah, it? As, uh, yes. So second-time buyers, obviously, um, uh, still have to have a, a 20% deposit. Um, prior However, to this, they, they, banks were allowed to, to, to go beyond this and 15% of, of lending. To, and now to, it's 20%. To, and now it's 20%. And one of the points, actually, that, that uh, the governor said today uh, as part of that was that a number of uh, people who would be second-time buyers, potential second-time buyers, 
buyers who um, would be in negative equity. They're exempt at the moment, but as house prices go up, these guys will start falling into that bucket and automatically will find themselves with those, you know, having to have a 20% deposit up front. So it gives the, the banks a bit of leeway in, mm. in, in, in that area. The, the other interesting thing that I, that I was speaking to a, a developer today and he, and he was explaining to me that, you know, with the 90% mortgage, but if, if house prices keep rising the way they are, pretty soon you're, you're, the equity that you have in your house will become more than 10% and will expand to 20%, at which stage you can change mortgage provider and you get a better rate on your mortgage. As house prices go up and your mortgage stays, you, the more amount that you borrowed, the amount of equity in your house will, will increase to such an extent that you might have 20% in it um, and you can get a better value mortgage without doing anything. All right, okay. Um, Lorcan, we've had the health buy scheme from the government in the budget. Uh, we've had the, these tweaks by the central bank to their mortgage rules. Uh, is this going to increase the supply of housing next year? Uh, I don't think so, really. I mean, I think the way to increase the supply of housing is tackle the cost of housing, which include the building rates, and also things like the cost of cement and the cost of materials in Ireland, which is, seems to be qu- quite high. And also, we need to re- really kind of uh, get stuck into the amount of vacant land and housing that we have, particularly vacant land. We have a vacant site levy. It's only 3% of the market value of the land. It doesn't kick in until 2019. And there are so many exceptions in it that it's going to bring in it's going to bring very little land to the market that needs to be 10% and it needs to kick in fairly soon uh, and then we need to take co- tackle the cost of construction materials mm. and regulation. And do you buy this narrative that property developers are sitting on their hands waiting for prices to rise to a level that will make it uh, a bit more profitable? Yeah, for them? and it's a legitimate business strategy is what they would say, and maybe it is, but it's definitely happening. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, also, we're not very good at tackling our, our vacant land or vacant housing. We've got a vacant housing rate of 9.7% in Dublin City alone. 36,000 houses are vacant in Dublin. I mean, that's a disgrace in a city that has a housing crisis. But we've traditionally not been very good at tackling Sometimes we don't even know who owns them. Mm. Why are they so, vacant? Oh, this is it. We don't know. Right. Uh, and, and that's a problem in and of itself, that we don't know why. Like, there should be no reason why vacancy rates should be around two, 3%, 4% maybe. And usually that's houses that are turning over in probate. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be uh, nearly 10%. We have an issue there with, uh, with the way we manage our existing stock. And what about everybody saying that the uh, councils, the, the government, through the local authorities, I suppose, should be building social housing? Yeah, absolutely. That's that. That's can the only be done? way to do it. Of course, it can be done. It can, can be, it be done, done within EU regulations. Yeah, it can. Yeah, if you listen to Seamus Coffey, who's on the government uh, fiscal advisory uh, committee and he's a lecturer in economics in Cork, he'll say there's no problem doing that. And you can build when the state builds houses; it can build them far cheaper than relying on the private sector. So why it's, have we got an issue? Why why are a number of builders taking uh, the government to the European Commission, taking them to court effectively uh, to complain about a state aid issue in relation to NAMA building residential units? Yeah, because they feel that now we're building residential units. It's the state competing against the private sector and under EU rules, the state can't compete against the private sector if the private sector can, can say it can do it cheaper and better. Uh, and that's essentially what's happening mm. there. And that's understandable from them. Like we, need, we just need to get ourselves looking at this as a system. What we're doing is we're tackling one thing at a time without looking at this holistically. And there's a prevailing ideology of the market will solve this. The market will, of course, solve this. It will solve this for people who are on 50, 60, 70, 90,000 euro a year. It's very unlikely that it will solve it for people on 30, 35, the average industrial wage, you know. Yeah, Joe, and there's a number of private sector uh, companies want to get involved in social housing, mind you, isn't there? Yeah. Richard um, Barrett's, uh, for example. Yeah, but I suppose it's, it's just trying to stack it up in terms of uh, how they can actually afford to build those in, in a way that actually they can actually make a profit out of it. Just going back to, to, to NAMA there, NAMA is, is obviously able to, to, to lend to its own existing borrowers at a, at a much lower cost than a commercial borrower. Uh, nowadays, banks will only lend max... I think NAMA disputes that point, Joe. Hmm. I think it's a lower they can it's definitely cheaper than getting mezzanine finance exactly yeah, mezzanine yeah, finance you're talking yeah. like 13, 14, 15% yeah. and, and banks themselves banks only lend somewhere in the region of about 60, 65% whereas NAMA can fund the whole thing 
Mm, yeah, okay. So, Lorcan, what's the outlook for, uh, I mean, if you're a first-time buyer, maybe hoping to buy your, your first property in the next 12 to 18 months, uh, what's what's the outlook? Well, things are looking a bit better for you now that you have to save that li- that little bit less, but you'll also spend that bit, bit more on your house, uh, and that's the way that goes. There's no real solution. You keep you keep renting, uh, and that's a bit pointless as well. Mm. And also, it's ferocious competition for these yeah, new absolutely, housing. Absolutely, yeah. But the, the other thing we've got to realise that the whole system, our whole economic and social system in Ireland, is predicated about being 65 years of age and not having any debt or rent to pay. Our fair deal scheme based on equity that you have in your house. What happens if you rent? Our pension system is, is based on the fact that you have no debt when you're 65. So this is what my point about having a holistic looking at the system holistically rather than and tweaking a knob here and a knob there uh, so you know people ultimately have no choice but before you're 45 you need to own a house because when it comes to 60 you won't get a mortgage for a long 20 years when it comes to 65 you don't really want to have any debt to pay Right, and you don't want to be in a rental uh, position either because not rents the, can shoot up. It's not even rents shooting up, it's the fact that it's the lack of security of tenure. You don't want to be 66 mm. and be turfed out by a landlord whose son is coming to Dublin to go to UCD. Yeah. Joe, is it largely a Dublin problem, this? In terms of the housing market, I mean, just in terms of supply and so forth and the yeah. affordability of houses. I mean, in the rest of the country, there, there probably is sufficient supply in most places, is there? Yeah, and I suppose there's a lot more self-build around the country as well. So, yeah, Dublin, I mean, obviously the, 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 the scarcity of land, the scarcity of, uh, obviously the cost is much higher to actually build housing than it is um, elsewhere in the, in, in the country. Lorcan, what's your best guess of when we might um, get demand and supply in equilibrium? Oh, so you're looking at six to ten years. Wow, that's pretty gloomy. Yeah, well, when you look at the number of houses that we're building and the demand that's out there, the government are working off a target of 25,000 houses a year. That target really is more like 40,000 a year. That's what it should be. That's what the demand is really out there. Like, even in the census this year, we discovered another 82,000 people we didn't know we had in the country. That's another 30,000 houses that we need. So we're, we're kind of, we're working off the wrong target. Uh, so the target's actually higher. The problem is a little bit bigger uh, than we think it is. We'll right. get there, but it'll take a while. Okay, Joe. Do the banks have the lending capacity for, for that kind of uh, construction? They do. Um, I suppose the, 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 the things with the issue with banks is that they've got higher uh, levels of, of capital that they have to hold against uh, against lending. But the banks are all saying that they have enough money to, 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 to lend um, for, for this type of activity. Yeah. And, and happens- banks are under pressure as well. I mean, remember, banks um, must lend, must start building up their balance sheets again. The, the problem with banks is they've shrunk so much in the last few years. They're still deleveraging, yeah. Exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but what, uh, what about when interest rates uh, start rising? Inevitably, they've got to start rising in the next, uh, the next few years, surely? No? Well, now, if interest rates do rise, now you have a bigger mortgage, uh, courtesy of the central bank today, uh, on which to pay uh, extra interest on every month, unfortunately. This is why these things are good. I mean, it's, it, it is absolutely short-term pain. I believe I, I am there. I know exactly what I'm talking about here but personally. Uh, it is short-term gain, but really, you've got to think about the kind of housing system you want for your kids or your niece or nephew. That's really the kind of vision that you need to have. And I'd like to see, you know, my niece and nephew be able to buy a house for three and a half, four times their income. No problem. Uh, not stretch into five or six or have to put down... Uh, um, very little money and borrow more. Okay, Joe Brennan, Lorcan's here. Thank you for your time. We'll take a short break now and we'll return with a review of Black Friday. Back in a few moments. Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life, June 2015. 
Now, welcome back. Uh, Black Friday has been a feature of the Thanksgiving holiday in the United States since 1932, and it generally signals the beginning of the Christmas shopping season there. In more recent years, it's been imported by Irish retailers as a way of boosting flagging sales. Joining me in the studio to discuss this phenomenon is Conor Pope, the Consumer Affairs Correspondent with the Irish Times, Alan Coleman, who's founder of Wolfgang Digital, and Colm O'Donnell, who's Chief Technology Officer of eShop World. Uh, Conor, we might just start with you. Perhaps you could give us the history of uh, Black Friday in America. America and why it came to Ireland. Well, as you as you say, it is inextricably linked to Thanksgiving, which is the last Thursday in November. Mm. And in the United States, it has been a it has been a thing for nearly a hundred years, maybe eighty or so years. But it really took off in the nineteen fifties, and then it kind of exploded in the nineteen sixties as consumerism took hold in the United States, and it became one of the biggest shopping days in America. And in America, it makes perfect sense because the vast majority of people in the United States, have the Friday after Thanksgiving off. So it's like their equivalent of our St. Stephen's Day. Mm. So they have that Friday off, then they have the weekend. So that's when American retailers really push an awful lot of their sale products. But of course, we don't celebrate Thanksgiving in the Republic of Ireland, and nor do they celebrate it in the United Kingdom. So in every single way, it was an artificial construct imported first into the United Kingdom by ASDA in 2013. And ASDA decided, and as you'll know, Kieran, ASDA is owned by Walmart, mm. and they decided as a wheeze they'd have a Black Friday event a couple, three years ago. They had the event, like the, the scenes in the shops were just appalling. It was like the apocalypse as people practically tore each other's eyes out to get cheap tellies. It was just yeah. ridiculous. Well, uh, Alan and I off air were, were talking about apparently in America, uh, you're more likely to get killed on Black Friday uh, rushing for some bargain than you are to get killed by a shark. Uh, yeah, well, absolutely. Well, but, yeah, but in fairness, you're more likely to get killed by a coconut than you are by a shark, according to Uber facts. I don't know if that's true, <laughs> okay. but that's what they say. Okay, interesting. Uh, you know, sharks are actually nice, nice things. They don't kill that many people. But anyway, so as to brought it in, there was absolute mayhem. They got loads of publicity, loads of attention across the British media. And then the following year, 2014, all the British retailers decided, hang on a second, we want a bit of that. And then Irish retailers kind of Mm. tagged along a little bit in 2014 and then last year suddenly it became a big deal. So now it's like we're talking about this Black Friday tradition as if it's a tradition when the reality is it is anything but that. And when you speak to retailers, an awful lot of retailers think, oh God, I, they really resent Black Friday because now... This is bricks and mortars retailers. Exactly. And, and it, it, I think we need to draw a, a distinction between you know, Black Friday as it traditionally existed in the United States, which was all about bricks and mortar retail. And it still is in many respects. You know, we're in danger of confusing Black Friday here with Cyber Monday, which is another long-standing tradition that's about seven years old. Um, and that actually happens four days from now, five days from now. So, and that's when all the yeah. online sales happen. But in Ireland, actually, there's an awful lot of the online sales happen on Friday. But, you know, the reality is retailers don't really want it because they have to start heavily discounting when they're entering their busiest sale period of the year. Mm. They don't really, they're not best pleased by that. They, they have said, they've told well, me hold that... hold on, why do they do it? It's not forcing. I mean, well, as see, you said, it's it, not it, traditional. It, it, no, it's not traditional, but you have this thing whereby it's like a domino effect. One retailer does it, then that retailer says, hang on a second. You know, or the next retailer says, hang on a second. They're doing it, I have to do it. And then suddenly you have this snowball effect where every single retailer feels compelled to offer a discount or, or, or something that's dressed up as a discount. And they, they can't really afford it in many respects because, you know, but that's mm. what that's what that's the situation well, we're in. We're, they, we're told 100 million in sales expected this weekend. 100 million in, in sales, but that's at the expense of a, a significant fall off in sales in the three weeks prior to Black Friday and perhaps a significant fall off in sales in the three weeks after 
Black Friday. So, you know, one mm. of the things that I would like to see is forget this kind of, uh, uh, this madness and just have like a steady discount year round. It's never mm. going to happen. Okay. Alan Coleman, um, madness, Black Friday, complete madness. Yes. Yeah, on, so well, on behalf of retailers. So on behalf of retailers, I take a different view to Connor actually. So in terms of the timing of it, while we don't celebrate Thanksgiving, it does arrive when everyone's just got their Christmas paycheck. So the Christmas lists are ready. People know what they're going to buy. So God, you must be very organised because I don't have my <laughs> Christmas list ready. So typically it's coming when the, when the, the, the last Thursday of November um, is the day before. It's typically when people get paid. So from the re- retailer's perspective, there's a number of reasons why retailers really like it. And first on the, on the actually, I'll address the, the, does it cannibalise other Christmas sales? I think it doesn't. I think it's incremental consumption. Um, we ran a study last year where we compared the golden quarter, quarter four, 15 to quarter four, 14. We've 2% of the Irish online economy in there. So it's a nice robust sample size mm. and we saw 54% growth. Um, the Black Now you're representing mostly digital, we should say that, shouldn't we? I mean... 100%. Well, no, these... Yeah. Re- I suppose Connor's point is that uh, bricks and mortars retailers are effectively cannibalising their sales. Yeah, so well, from an online perspective is what we can measure. It's absolutely, it's not. It's mm. for, for half the retailers in the survey, it wasn't just their biggest uh, revenue day of the year. It was their biggest revenue day ever. And that was set against the context of a quarter where they grew by 54%. So retailers love it because lots more revenue. It's an opportunity to shift old stock and it's an opportunity to form relations with with new customers. A really important point, the online shopper is a lot more retailer loyal than the offline shopper. So if you or any of your listeners think about, well, where do I spend my money online? They'll probably realize, geez, there's only three or four places. Mm. And it's very hard to shift people. So Black Friday offers the opportunity where people abandon those loyalties in pursuit of a bargain. And it's a great opportunity for retailers to start forming relationships with, with, with new customers who they will then have for the next 12 months, 24 but months. But is it not sending months. the wrong signals in that December is such an important month for retailers, for, certainly for bricks and mortar retailers? I presume it's probably the same online mm-hmm. uh, because it's coming up to the busy Christmas season. I mean, you could be talking about maybe a quarter of their business is transacted in that month, maybe more for certain retailers. So And yet here we are on the cusp of that busy sales period when they should be telling people, listen, you need to splash the cash. You should be encouraging people to spend money and to go a little bit further for a luxury item or for a special gift or whatever. And here we've got some deep, deep discounts being offered. So just in terms of the psychology of so I think the psychology shopping. is, uh, yeah, I, I, go, I go back to the point that the retailers are expecting this to be incremental spend. So you might need a laptop, but then you're on there and you'll buy an awful lot more. Um, another interesting thing we saw in the data was People tend to, so one of the, the, the pe- reasons people like to do this spend online is nobody wants to be, it's getting quite cold now, nobody wants to be queuing up outside Arnott's at a half seven on, a, on, on Friday morning. Whereas what we're seeing is after midnight on, uh, on Friday, so people are staying up late on Thursday, maybe having a glass of wine, and then um, we're seeing average transaction values triple for the hour. So people are getting a lot of shopping done, and I think they might stay up intending on just buying the laptop, but then when they're there, they'll buy it. Yeah. Okay. Colin O'Donnell, uh, just tell us a little bit about uh, eShop World. Uh, what, what is it exactly that you do? Uh, so eShop is a technology and logistics company that uh, helps brands move from uh, domestic sales into international online sales. So we start uh, and allowing... And transact that online. And online, and again, online only. But it's mostly brands that have been traditionally offline. So give us a couple of examples. Online. So we, uh, our clients are the largest uh, sports manufacturer in the world, which I can't name, uh, are also the number one lingerie company in the world, is, our, uh, is another one of our clients. Actually, both of those are great examples of different approaches to Black Friday. Uh, one has a very traditional um, uh, model where they do uh, sales at their own time of choosing. And the other one is diluting Black Friday by starting promotions a week earlier than, uh, than Black Friday and moving them past Black Friday as well. 
So I think the the, the everyone understands that it's Black Friday. It's a perpetual Friday, sale. It's a perpetual sale, or certainly it's a longer term sale than one day. Yeah. So it starts. Sounds like an online version of Kildare Village. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's exactly yeah. it. They, and I think as well, we've moved back from. You know, originally Black Friday started at midnight on, on Black Friday and people would queue up in the cold in New York streets. And now it starts midday on Thanksgiving. That's the traditional start for it now. But now it's moving back into the Wednesday, into the Tuesday, into the mm. into Monday. There's logical reasons for this. Like, you know, behind all of this, there's inventory management. There's, you know, technology solutions that support uh, these systems. And you don't want to have a million sales in one day that you cannot fulfill in time for Christmas. You really want to be able to bring this out as long as possible. From uh, from an early start to a to a kind of a, a mid mid December uh, finish. Yeah, Connor, there's an element of buyer beware here, isn't there? I mean, there've been some warnings floating around the last few days about uh, beware of bogus goods that might be offered by certain websites. And I see the revenue earlier this week; they put out a notice. I don't know, maybe it was coincidental or maybe it was designed uh, specifically for this week, given we have Black Friday and Cyber Monday, as you mentioned. Um, just flagging, reminding people that they might have to pay duties um, on certain items that they order into Ireland, particularly on, on alcohol. Oh, yeah, that's absolutely that. And it was no coincidence that the revenue issued this this alert in the run up to it. The European Consumer Centre issued a similar alert warning people about the dangers of shopping from outside of the European Union. Because a lot of people, when they shop online, they think they have all of the, the, the rights that, are, that they have from an EU directive, which gives them 14 days to return goods and all sorts of other rights that they don't have when they buy in a bricks and mortar store. But the reality is that if you buy from Hong Kong or if you buy from China or the United States, an awful lot of the consumer protections that the European Union give you are stripped away. And another thing that sometimes people forget is that you are, you can be liable for really hefty tax and excise and duty charges when you buy stuff from um, outside when you buy some buy stuff from outside of the Republic of Ireland. And there's a couple of other moral dimensions here when you shop. Locally, when you shop in an Irish retailer, the Irish retailer employs people in the Republic of Ireland, they pay tax in the Republic of Ireland, they employ accountants, they employ solicitors, all of whom pay tax and employ people in the Republic of Ireland. When you shop on a huge multinational from outside of this country, all of the money, all of the money is hoovered out of the Republic of Ireland and we as a society get nothing. Now, we, I'm not saying that's a bad thing and I'm saying I'm not saying that consumers shouldn't be, uh, sh- should turn away from bargains just because of that, but there is a moral dimension to it. And I think there's also another point that that's something mentioned here. A, the incremental spend thing. That to me is a code word for getting consumers to buy products that they, know, that they don't need and they possibly can't afford. Incremental spending is a lovely way of putting it, but the reality is if you just want a laptop and you go out and you spend an extra 150, 200, 300, 400 quid on tasks that you don't want, you're wasting money. And speaking of wasting money, which the Consumer Magazine earlier this week published a report which showed that half of all the items which are sold as part of Black Friday deals and Cyber Monday deals are actually cheaper at other times of the year. So effectively, we are being misled by an awful lot of retailers who want to get rid of uh, old stock, stock that they're not going to be able to sell in the winter sales. And consumers, frankly, are being duped. Yeah. And the moral issue now, a lot of people are going to go across the border and do their Christmas shopping as Some well. Some people will. You know I mean, you can't, there's nothing you can do about that. No, there is and maybe not. this is shining a light on the high cost base of uh, a lot of Irish retailers. Absolutely. But I think, I, I'm not saying that I, I've bought stuff on Amazon. I've bought stuff on eBay. I've bought stuff from outside of this jurisdiction and I've bought it and it's been significantly cheaper. So I wouldn't be pointing the finger at anybody and saying you've got to show up in your local mom and pop sh- store in, in, in Dublin just because it's local. But you do need to ask the question of yourself, how do I want my society to evolve? And do we want this Walmartization of our society where every single shop 
on the high street disappears as people move their sales online. Yeah, Alan, um, do you think that some of the Irish retailers are kind of uh, sorry that they got into this whole Black Friday scenario a few years ago? I mean, it probably happened around 2013. We were still in Detroit. The economy was in a bad place, etc. But that's all changed now. Um, you know, we see just the other day unemployment has come down to 7.5%. Uh, incomes are beginning to rise again. Public servants are going to get, start getting repaid some money and so forth. So maybe we don't need to be doing this anymore. Um, so if I if I may just before to follow on to Connor's point, it was a really good point about people spending money mm. on sterling. So we were concerned about this in Wolfgang Digital and we had a look at Google search trends. And what I found is over the last 12 months, searches for Amazon.co.uk are up 30%. So this time last year, there was 30% less searches. So this is precisely what Connor speaks to. And I think it's a really important message for Irish retailers that they need to it was done very eloquently there but they need to look at their offering against the sterling offering and come up with good reasons maybe you can't compete in price but maybe it's delivery nobody wants empty stockings come December the 25th maybe it's returns because then you've got a double triple delivery Um, and then the whole buy Irish is a really good message as well so I think that could be a real problem for Irish retailers I think a lot of them to answer your first question I, I have not heard any of our clients complain about Black Friday. They relish it. They look forward to it. Um, there was one whose website went down two years ago during it, and they weren't happy that they didn't sell a load of cheap stock. They were kicking themselves that they didn't sell a load of, uh, a load of stock. Um, but that's a really crucial point that I, I think every Irish retailer needs to be comparing themselves to Amazon and coming up with some elo- eloquent messaging on, as how to they, they, they stop there. And the most important thing is their customers buying from Amazon. So there's going to be hundreds of thousands of searches for Amazon.co.uk on Google. The ones that people need to defend against are their customers. And there's been um, advancements in targeting in the last 12 months that allow people to do this. So a retailer mm. could take all I should their... just ask you, is Amazon a client of yours? No, no. no. Okay. Um, there's retailers that take all of their... Or a retailer can take all of their customers' email addresses, upload that to Google, and then if any of these people, their customers, search mm. Google for Amazon.co.uk... Um, they can show a tailored ad with a specific message, like Connor mentioned there. So why you should please, you know, keep your Christmas shopping with us for keeping the community better to, uh, returns, whatever it might be. Mm. Colm, uh, online shopping is obviously uh, here to yeah. say. It sounds like Black Friday uh, is here to say. And it yeah, sounds like you've something to get off is. your chest and in I, relation to what's just been yeah. said. Yeah, there, there's, uh, you know, I, I kind of disagree. You know, one of the, the, the main points about going online is that as soon as you're online, you're global. Mm. You're not just an Irish company dealing with an Irish market. You're an Irish company selling to an international market. And if you're able to uh, to take advantage of that, if you're uh, if you're able to uh, make money through that, then but realistically, how many Irish right? retailers are able to sell to an international market? I mean, well, Marks and Spencer has operations all over the world. Tesco has operations all over the world. Walmart, etc. They definitely can sell to an international market. But you know, a mom and pop shop. Uh, in Ireland? So we were actually just talking about uh, other Irish technology companies. You know, uh, Obviously, the Deloitte Fast 50 was there just recently, and in that they had uh, 50 Irish companies that were selling internationally. Most of most technology companies, most online companies, make money abroad. That's just the way it is. They sell abroad. They have to compete abroad. They can't just compete for the Irish market. Uh, to the Amazon point, you know, again, I, I kind of disagree with Alan. The, re- the reality is that Amazon is one channel that people should be selling. If you're an online retailer in Ireland, you're selling on your own brand website, but you're also selling through Amazon, through marketplaces. And we see it in China. Uh, in particular, where the marketplaces are taking up and they're taking 60, 70% of the market. So Alibaba is really the only place that you can sell in China. You know, there's there's uh, particular home brand markets that you can, uh, that, mm. that brands are strong enough to be able to do so. 
but you know they're they're having they're having difficulty doing so. Amazon wants to follow a similar strategy. You can uh, you can take advantage of that. If you're an uh, if you're a retailer here in Ireland, you can take advantage of that. You can have your own online brand, and you can augment that with a. Uh, with a marketplace brand. You yeah. can sell through I, eBay, you can sell through I Amazon. I think you'd still suffer the sterling issue though because you'd be pricing on euros and then and then that would be transformed absolutely. to sterling. Absolutely. Yeah. And, okay. uh, pricing and duties and taxes as you mentioned before are absolutely key to get right if you're trying to sell into another how market. Ma- by the way, how much yeah. by way of bogus goods are sold online to Irish consumers? Any, any sense? Um, I'm not a 100% sure. No, no, but I would say one thing then, and it's a, it's a thing that people should remember over the course of the next 72 uh, hours. If a deal seems too good to be true, it is too good to be true. Mm. You're not going to get your pair of Christian Louboutin shoes for 50 quid. You're not going to get your iPhone for 100 quid. So just be really, really careful. And by, by doing that, and, and, and another top tip to people to avoid counterfeit and to avoid uh, being ripped off, just Google the, the, the website where you're bar, bar, uh, buying and just see what other people's experiences are. But just bear in mind, if the deal seems good to, too good to be true, it is. Right, okay. Stick with the online shops you know yeah. and you won't go too far. And wrong. Alan, just finally, just explain to us the difference between Black Friday and Cyber Monday for the benefit of listeners. So we've had Cyber Monday as a phenomenon or as something we talk about in Ireland for a number of years and it was spoken about as the before Black Friday arrived as the biggest shopping day of the year. The data is inconclusive. By and large, St. Stephen's Day is the, is the big, largest day for online shopping of the year um, in Ireland. So Cyber Monday has very much been eclipsed by, by Black Friday and Stephen's Day was always the, the biggest one anyway. Right. Are you a fan of Cyber Monday any more than Black Friday, Connor? Nah. I can take it or leave it. Colm, how are you guys gearing up uh, for Christmas? What are you expecting from uh, Christmas this well, year? Well, so we started uh, preparing for Friday uh, about two months ago. Um, so like everyone else, you have that same... Online marketing challenge, uh, uh, challenge, you know, making sure your campaigns are correct. You have that same problem on the logistics side. You have same that uh, same problem on the technology side, making sure you have the right uh, number of servers, right, you know, you know, physical infrastructure in which you can support it. Uh, you know, we saw a huge growth last year. We're expecting kind of the same, if, if not more, this year. Um, and uh, but you know, it's a, an exciting time. You know, everyone everyone in the industry is always excited by this kind of thing. Okay, we we'll leave it there. Um, my thanks to Alan Coleman, uh, Colin McDonnell, and Connor Pope. Uh, that's it for this week from the Irish Times Business Podcast. My thanks to Joe Brennan, Lorcan Sear, Alan Coleman, Connor Pope and Colin O'Donnell. John Casey produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com. You can also follow the Irish Times Business feed on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. 